Uh, I'm Brian Hallam, if you don't know me, uh, and I am a preacher, which means I, I tend to speak at a, sometimes loudly. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm from, from East Texas, and uh, the Spirit of God, from a, from a very young age, I knew I was going to be a preacher. I knew I was going to be a pastor. Matter of fact, I do not remember a time in my life where I did not know that I was going to be a pastor. It's just what God put on the, Thank you, Dusty. It's just what God put on the inside of me to know. Uh, but so much in my life is, is filled with preaching that sometimes when I just uh, uh, pull back a gear and, and teach, you know, it's a little bit of a different thing. But this morning and possibly all the way through uh, Christmas, I'm going to be teaching a lot. Uh, is this clock right? 1140, Matthew? Okay. Uh, uh, so I'm going to be teaching a lot because a Christian ought to know more about Bethlehem and about Jesus than anybody else on the planet. And one of the greatest things that we can do is we can capitalize on the season that we're in. Meaning a farmer capitalizes on the season that is going on. He doesn't try to go against the season. So for us, we're in the season of Christmas. People that don't uh, even like Jesus will say Christmas a thousand times between now and December 25th. So it's a great opportunity for the body of Christ to expound on Christmas and what Christianity is and explain to them uh, how Jesus can save them, wants to save them, will save them, and will do great and miraculous things in their life. But the problem is you and me have to have the faith to do it. The Bible says uh, in Romans chapter number 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So in 2014 what we would say is the more of the Word of God that you can get on the inside of you, the higher level of faith that you can walk in, the more faith that you can walk in, the more that you can believe God for what He's going to do in your life or in the lives of others, both for eternity and in the here and now. So uh, we want to make our way to Bethlehem throughout uh, uh, the, the month of uh, December, starting right now, uh, uh, we want to make our way uh, to Bethlehem and, and what it comes about to. But, but really, all this started long before Mary, long before a man named Joseph, long before Bethlehem, long before uh, the Magi or wise men, long before the shepherds, long before the innkeeper, long before the donkey, long before all these other things, the plan was in place. So if you're taking notes, uh, I want you to write this down. Uh, if you're not taking notes, uh, write this down. Uh, Jesus is not plan B. The Bible says that Jesus was uh, crucified before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the plan of God before the foundation of the world. Meaning God is not surprised by anything you do, and he certainly wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve ate some fruit in a garden. Jesus is the plan for salvation, for mankind, period, end of statement, end of chapter, end of book, that's it. Christ Jesus is God's plan to get humanity in eternal communion and fellowship with Him. In the uh, first chapter of Genesis, this is where everything started. This is where God says, let there be light. This is where God created the heavens and the earth and He created the, the waters and He told them how far to go and He told the mountains how high to go. And the Bible says that uh, He also created man in His likeness and in His image. 
Now, uh, it's interesting because in chapter number 1, He created man, but in chapter number 2, He formed man. So if we wanted to try to think of it and put it in a perspective that we can understand, uh, God drew the blueprint, if you will, in chapter number 1, and then He formed what was created in chapter number 2. He formed him out of the dust of the earth. I'm reminded of a, of a scientist one time who said, I can create uh, life uh, my own way. And he developed a machine that would cause life to come into uh, something. And he said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to challenge God. And he challenged God. He said, listen, he said, you made man uh, out of dirt and I can make man out of dirt. Let's have a man-making contest. And God said, fine by me. Let's have a man-making contest. And the man, uh, the, the scientist gets ready and God gets ready and the man gets a, a wheelbarrow of dirt and, and God's just standing there waiting and the man says okay uh, on the count of three I'm not going to use anything he said he said I'm going to use everything that, that, that you got and I'm going to make sure that I can make a man and you can make a man I'm just going to prove to you God that we don't need you anymore and God says hold on one minute you're not using my dirt see God created everything that ever is ever was it will, it is currently and everything that will be so in the beginning the Bible says He created man in His likeness and His image. And then in uh, chapter number 2, uh, the Bible says that He formed God out of the dust of the earth. And the one translation in the Hebrew says that it's like it, He looked at His shadow, His Shekinah glory comes over God. And, and at that point, uh, He sees and He forms Himself and it looks like God, which means God does not look like a scorpion. God doesn't look like a tiger. God doesn't look like a donkey. I'm thinking about a Chinese menu. You know those things that they got there? God doesn't look like a rabbit. God looks a lot like me. And you. Probably more like me. You're formed in His likeness and in His image. So when you get to heaven, you're going to get there... And Jesus is going to look like you. He's a man. He, he has hands and a face and, and hair. And uh, bless God, gentlemen, if you don't have hair, maybe you'll have it in heaven. I don't know. But, but, but I'm saying uh, God is not some kind of an animal figure or an idea. You are in His likeness and in His image. And in chapter number 2 of Genesis, the Bible says that God formed man in His likeness and His image. And then He supernaturally breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of humanity and from that standpoint Adam became a living person, a living soul, a spirit that had a body that was a soul that lived in this realm and God told him that I want you to take dominion over this area I want you to name all the animals so God would have them all come by him and he'd go, well, that's a pretty long neck. I'll name this one giraffe and that one's kind of fat. I'll name it a hippopotamus and uh, this one's kind of uh, skinny. I'll name it gazelle and uh, this one's uh, got some real cool horns. I'm going to call that one a deer. And, and he named all these different animals and, he, and he's sitting there and he starts to realize, well, the giraffe has a friend and the hippopotamus has a friend. Even the goats have friends. Where's my friend? And God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. 
So the great physician that he is does the first surgery that's ever recorded on planet earth and he causes a deep sleep to come over Adam, his creation, his son, who he had molded and shaped into his likeness and his image and he breathed the breath of life into him. He caused a deep sleep to come over him and he reaches on the inside supernaturally and he pulls out a rib and from that rib he creates a woman and then he wakes Adam up and Adam who was tasked with naming all the animals looks at his, his wife Eve who's walking by and the first thing he says is whoa man that is not a goat he said she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and in 2014 don't get religious about it what he was saying is, is this looks like me This looks like my counterpart. This looks like what I'm supposed to live life with. The giraffe, they have a maid. And the the hippos, they have a maid. And the the aardvarks, they have a maid. And and now a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is what I can spend my life with. And uh, the Bible says that they were uh, together and they were both physically fit in great shape and skinny. And the way I know this is the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. So life is good for Adam and Eve. God says He he made a garden for them and He puts them in the garden and He tells them to take care of the garden. He says, I need you to take care of everything and and there's plenty of fruit in here for you guys to eat and the law of first fruits is an activation uh, uh, in the second chapter of Genesis because God tells them, I need you to eat from... You can eat everything you want but leave this one tree alone. Leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone. And we know that there was no sin in the world because Adam and Eve did not have the knowledge of good and evil. The way we know this is James says it this way. James says, To know what is right and to not do it, to him that is sin. So meaning a two-year-old stealing a cookie off the counter is not wrong because a two-year-old doesn't know you're not supposed to steal a cookie off the counter. two-year-old lives by a different set of rules. Come on, somebody. If I can reach it, I can have it. So they get to a place where they've got everything that they can eat, but God says, leave this one tree alone. So they can't sin because they don't have the knowledge of it. And according to James, I believe it's chapter number 4, uh, he says that if you, can't, if you don't know it, then it's not sin. But the minute you know what is right and you don't do it, now you've entered into sin. That's why you feel guilty whenever you cuss out the person in front of you in traffic, even though they can't hear you. It's because you know you're not supposed to do that. It's, it's the same reason when you talk bad about uh, your boss or your spouse or, or, your, or your friend or your not friend, whatever. You feel bad about it because you know what you should be doing and you didn't do what you should have done. So now we move into chapter number 3. We're working our way to a manger. We're working our way to Bethlehem. And so we get to chapter number 3 of Genesis. We've only got a, a few books left between here and there. So uh, we get to chapter number 3 of Genesis, and the Bible says that Eve is sitting there, and she's having a conversation with the devil. And the serpent, the devil, comes up to her and says something like this. says, you can't eat any fruit in this whole garden. That's verse number 1. And he said, no, 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 no. We, we can eat everything. We just can't eat uh, of the, of the tree, uh, in the garden. We can't eat of the, the tree in the middle of the garden. Verse three, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can eat everything else. And verse four says, this, the snake says to her and says, listen, uh, cause, cause she says to the snake, we can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if we do, uh, God says we'll die. 
But the devil's a liar. He's always been a liar. He always will be a liar. Now, interestingly enough, what he does is through his demonic ideology, he will cause a bright beacon light to shine on, on the one thing that God has asked you to keep separate and he will try to make you ignore all the other fruit that God's blessed you with. So instead of saying, God, I'm so thankful for this, I'm so thankful for all these other trees, I'm thankful that I got this land that's paid for, I'm thankful that I got this garden that's amazing, I got all this fruit, uh, I got this wife, I, got, I, I, I get to name all that, I'm so thankful for all that. He starts to shine a light on the one thing that God tells man not to do. Because what the devil will always try to make you focus on is what you don't have, while God is always trying to remind you of what you do have. It's the spirit of thanksgiving. It'll change your life. So the devil says, uh, re- replies back to her, says, listen, he said, you won't die, which is a lie, a complete and total lie. And then he tries to sugarcoat and he says, for God knows, verse 5, that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that word gods there is a very interesting word. It's the word Elohim, where anytime you see the word Elohim, it's the plural word for a singular God. So what he's saying is, If you eat of the tree, you're going to be like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. You see, Jesus, the Bible said, knew no sin. Not that He did not know how to sin. Because the Bible says that He was tempted in all ways just as we are. But He knew no sin, meaning He did not sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So what happens is the devil lies and says you won't die, which is not true. But then he tells him, he says, your eyes are going to be open. Now that's true. You are, your eyes are going to be open. Now here's the problem with a half lie. A half lie, excuse me, a half, here's a problem with a half truth. A half truth is a whole lie. Some people spend their whole life focused on a half truth, not realize that they're living a lie. Let me give you an example. A half-truth would be, well, uh, God will save you, but God does not want to bless you. You tell me a father that loves their children that doesn't want to bless their children. This is who God is to us. So the idea that God wants to bless you is not uh, uh, extra or, or away from the idea that He wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants to keep you from hell. But while you're here, He wants you to live as an ambassador of another kingdom. An ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. The minute you say yes to Jesus, and if you have not, uh, today before you leave, we'll give you the opportunity. But the minute you say yes to Jesus, you become a citizen of a kingdom whose builder and maker is God, and you no longer have to live according to the statutes of this world alone, but rather you live from the benefits of being an ambassador of another place. Think about... Uh, a United States ambassador who lives in, say, Kenya, just for easy. Uh, They are an American citizen, but an American ambassador living in Kenya is not a citizen of Kenya. They are a citizen of another place, even though they don't live there right now. 
They don't operate by the laws of Kenya. They operate by the laws of the United States of America. And if you go to Kenya and you go into a war-ridden area, which I'm not familiar with Kenya, but let's just say that there's a war-ridden area in Kenya, and you look around and there's just war and poverty everywhere, if you find uh, the embassy, if you find the United States embassy, you will not just see an American flag, you will see a building with a fence around it or a hedge around it that is designed designed for protection and you will see marines planted at every corner that are designed to protect those that are residing inside the embassy of the United States that just so happens to be in Kenya and when you get into the embassy you're not going to have to speak another language you're going to speak English and when you start speaking English you're going to have benefits and they're not just going to uh, feed you other food they're going to have food from America in the embassy so what I'm saying is the United States ambassador who's living in Kenya is not living as a Kenyan. They're living as an America, as an American, even though they are not residing in America. You are an ambassador of a city called heaven. You are an ambassador of a city called heaven, and the God of heaven and earth have established a hedge of protection around you and your family, and regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of where your footsteps, regardless of where you end up being, you are protected not just by the hedge, but by the angels of God, just like the Marines are protecting the ambassadors in Kenya. They're they're protecting you here on earth, and inside of this hedge, is the freedom and the fullness of what it means to live for God and you don't have to live and breathe and die like you're just of the world but you get to live as an ambassador of another place even though your feet are still on planet earth. This is who God has called you to be. So the devil says, listen, you're not going to die you're going to be like God. The, 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 your, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to know good and evil and, and everything's going to be uh, different from that point on. And the Bible says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, uh, uh, the devil never tempts you with something that you don't like. Can I just say that? He knows what you like. He studies you. you know, he's not going to tempt you know, a, a lady who likes Louis Vuitton with a monster truck. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to tempt, you know, a guy who likes monster trucks with a Louis Vuitton. It's just the way it is. He understands who you are and he'll put something in front of you that will try to cause you to trip up. So she looks at it and sees that it's good and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave also unto her husband. So she takes the fruit, she eats the fruit, and she gives it to her husband. Now remember... Uh, the Bible says that God pulled Eve, pulled a rib from Adam and made Eve. Now the rib is on the side of the body. Uh, it's a part of the body that's designed to protect the vital areas of the body. It's the same word used uh, for the pillars in the tabernacle in the wilderness when Moses was instructed on how to build the wilderness. The exact same word used there. Uh, so what it's saying is, is, ladies, you have the opportunity to protect the vulnerable areas of your husband, the areas that only you know about, the areas that only you have access to, you're called to be a stabilizing force in a marriage that, that protects those areas of your husband so that he can be stable and so that he can complete everything that God's called him to do. You're called to build him up. But you're not called to walk behind your husband. You're called to walk behind, beside your husband. So gentlemen, uh, the Bible does not say that your wife is under your foot. The Bible says that the devil is under your foot. If you think your wife is the devil, come on up here, we'll pray for you. 
But God pulled Eve out of the side of Adam so that we could see symbolically that your wife is called to walk beside you. Don't put her behind you. And ladies, don't try to get in front of him. Gentlemen, don't try to run in front of her. This is a two come together and become one flesh scenario. But the problem that Eve made is she made a very large decision, the biggest decision of their young marriage. She made a very large decision apparently without consulting her husband. She decides she's going to eat the fruit, then she's going to give him the fruit. She chooses to disobey God before without discussing it with her husband. Now think about it. Uh, the Bible says that a three-strand cord is not easily broken. So the way God established a marriage to be would be you, your spouse, and God. Never make large decisions in your family without consulting your spouse and consulting God. I don't know if Adam would have talked Eve out of it. He might have asked her to make a fig newton instead of just handing her a bite of fruit. I don't know. But either way, she moved in singularity, but it had plural results. Gentlemen, don't make a decision without discussing with your wife that's going to have plural results. So many times in life, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out, all you have to do is watch a sitcom. They're going to show a lady who 10 times out of 10 is designed, is the character is made to be uh, really, uh, uh, you know, just sometimes abrasive to her husband always talking bad about her husband with her friends. And then the guy, he's going to be this guy that when he comes home, all he does is sit on the couch. And when he goes out with his friends to the bar, he's going to talk bad about his wife. So the, the, the sitcom on television is showing you this example of the wife talking bad about the husband and the husband talking bad about the wife. And I went ahead and, and bought the house without telling you. And I went ahead and took the new job without telling you. And I went ahead and put the kids in school in this school without telling you and you got all these decisions going different directions and there's no unity in a household and it's a constant look and a vision of, 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 of a divisive scenario instead of the way God designed it which is for you to be one flesh and to make decisions with one another in unity that you may be able to walk under the blessings of God instead of having to deal with the repercussions of one person making decisions that affect the whole family. This is how God laid it out to be, and it's all hidden in these first three chapters. Uh, but Eve hands Adam uh, a bite of the tree, and I personally believe that there's a very uh, good, likely scenario that it was actually a fig tree. Uh, it could have been a fig that, that she was handing him. I don't know that for sure. If that's not the case in heaven, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. I really don't care uh, one way or the other, but it very well could have been a fig uh, because the Bible says in verse number 7 that the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So what they did, as soon as they realized that the glory of God had lifted off of them, as soon as they realized that sin had stained them, they realized that they were uncovered. 
Do you remember uh, Elisha? He's the one who followed Elijah around and he saw the prophet go up to heaven in a, in a chariot of fire and the Bible says that he picked up Elisha, Elijah's mantle and he got a double portion of the anointing that Elijah walked in and one of the ways that he discovered is he walked up to a river that he had to pass and he took the cloak of Elijah and he hid it on the water and the water got out of his way and he goes walking back to where these other prophets were who were actually young men. I could teach about that if I had time, but they were young men who were also following Elijah, but they did not continue to follow Elijah Elijah like Elisha had, and they began to talk about him, and they said, hey, there comes the uncovered one, there comes the one without the covering, and the, the, the Bible actually translated as the bald one, but it was much more than just saying somebody without hair, it was actually saying, here comes the one without a covering, where's your covering, Elisha? They didn't realize Elijah had already gone to heaven, so they're sitting there saying, where Where's the one who you cling to? Where's the one that has covered you up? And when they spoke about this, the Bible says that a bear comes out of the woods and eats all of them. But the problem was they didn't realize Elijah had already gone to heaven and the covering that was necessary was the mantle and the cloak that Elijah had worn. And now Elisha's wearing and he's walking in that level of anointing. So being uncovered as a human being is a big problem in your life. So they look down and they go, Oh my goodness, I'm uncovered. I need something to cover me. So they immediately grab their, their machete, which everybody I've ever seen that lives in the jungle has a machete, so I'm assuming he has a machete. And he grabs his machete and they start chopping down fig, fig leaves and they take the fig leaves and they sit down on the little singer sewing machine and they're sitting there and they're sewing together these fig leaves and they make themselves a couple of aprons, which I don't know why they made an apron because if I was you know going to make something, I wouldn't make an apron. I'd at least make a pair of pants or something. But you got Adam and Eve standing there wearing these aprons of fig leaves trying to cover up the nakedness that they just realized they had. Let me put it a different way. The moment you get the revelation that you are uncovered, that you need God, that you need something, what the world will teach you to do is go get some leaves, go get your sewing machine, and if you can simply work enough, you can cover it yourself. Sound familiar? Sounds like Islam. Sounds like Buddhism. You can take them all, put them in a pile, doesn't matter. Whichever uh, uh, religion you want, every other religion on the planet that is a major religion, considered a major religion, deals with if you will do these works, then you might have a chance to get to heaven. Adam and Eve begin to realize that they're uncovered and they begin to cover their, their issues with their own level of work and their own level of doing things. But in the kingdom of God, you cannot cover your sins. You need the blood of a spotless Savior in order to get that done. And that only comes through one man and one man alone. That is Christ Jesus who was born in a manger, lived 33 and a half years, sinless, willingly died on a cross, and three days later walked out of that thing with the keys to death, hell, and the grave and gave them to you and me. This is who we serve and this is what Christmas is about. So they begin to work and, and, and they're trying to cover themselves with their works and they're trying to get everything done so that they're not uh, uh, uncovered whenever God comes because surely this God who walked with them in the cool of the evening was going to show up again. In verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that word cool is a very interesting word. It's the Hebrew word ruach, which means uh, the wind of God, the breath of God. It, it's really not even uh, translated as a word in 
Hebrew, it's more like a sound. It's like in the of the day. So the wind of God is coming and they hear God coming uh, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife uh, hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. So Adam and Eve hide behind all these trees while they're covered by their own works thinking, maybe I can hide from God. One of the number one lies of the devil is to try to keep you in hiding from God as if God is going to somehow throw judgment on you instead of humanity as a whole. Let me tell you something, you can't hide from God. He has a calling on your life. Many of you guys know you have a big calling. You just don't know exactly what it is. You don't know exactly how you're going to step into it. But here's the scenario. You stay in the presence of God and when the season is right and the time is right, God will open your eyes and expose that thing to you. But don't spend your life hiding amongst the trees thinking you're somehow hiding from God. He knows where you are. Verse 9 says this, The Lord said, Adam, where are you? God never asks you a question He doesn't know the answer to. He wants to know if you're going to be honest. Because the moment you're honest with a question from God is the moment God can use you. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? He said, did you eat of the tree? Well, I told you don't eat of that tree. Here's where the blame game starts. Adam says, that woman you made me She gave me that fig. She gave me that fruit. And God, not blaming the woman, but looks at the woman just for the sake of conversation and for the benefit of you and me some thousands of years later. Says, Eve, did you give him that? Yes, it was that snake you created. He convinced me to take a bite of it and I figured if I was going to die, I was going to kill him too. (laughs) So we ate of the fruit. And God says, huh, So it was Eve's fault. No, no, no. It was the snake's fault. Yeah, it was the snake's fault. So God says to him, verse 14, He says to the serpent, He said, Because you did this, you're cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon your belly will you go, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. Meaning, snake, you're never going to have legs again. You're just going to wallow on the dirt, on your belly. Then verse 15 says, And I will put enmity, I will put hatred, strife, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And it shall bruise your head, and you'll bruise his heel, meaning the offspring. Unto the woman, he says, I'll greatly multiply the sorrow of your conception, and your conception. In sorrow you'll bring forth children, and thy desire... And thy desire shall be to your husband, meaning you're going to try to control your husband. In a fallen state, in a fallen marriage, in an unredeemed marriage, you're going to try to control your husband. And he's going to rule over you in an unredeemed marriage, in a fallen state, in a marriage that hasn't been given to God, the husband's going to domineer over the wife unjustly. So what happens is, is the snake uh, convinces Adam and Eve 
And then Adam and Eve eat the stuff. God shows up. They're scared. They hide behind their works and they hide behind some trees. And then from that standpoint, uh, uh, Adam and Eve begin the blame game of blaming one another. Then they blame the snake. And God says, fine, here's what's going to happen. And, and it's really a lot more than just a conversation because what happens is, is God's actually prophesying. He says, what's going to happen here is I'm going to uh, put a strife between you and woman. And I don't know about you, uh, but I don't know too many women that like snakes. There's just an enmity there. But spiritually speaking, you've got the situation where God Almighty is prophesying in the presence of the devil and He's prophesying in the presence of all humanity, which is Adam and Eve, and He's saying what's going to come to pass. He's going to say, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. The devil gets nervous. Starts to try to figure out, whoa, 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 the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman. What does that mean, the seed of the woman? God didn't say the seed of mankind. God didn't say the seed of man. He said the seed of the woman because there's thousands of years later that is going to, that's going to take place when there's going to be a man who comes through a woman but doesn't need the seed of man. It's the seed of God. And the Bible says, that as this takes place, all of a sudden, uh, there's this enmity, this strife that comes between her, uh, her offspring, and the devil, and the demonic realm, and everything. And from that very moment, the devil has been attacking the womb of women since that day. Tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, in Judea. He tried to kill all the babies in Egypt that the Israelites were having. And today, he tries to kill all the babies that are trying to be born in America. Because it's the seed of woman that will somehow bruise his head supernaturally, prophetically. These things are coming to pass. So God is sitting there and He's speaking into the atmosphere and the atmosphere has to take notice and listen. But the devil, he's trying to figure out how am I going to get away from this and what am I going to do? We'll pick back up there in a minute. But he says unto the woman, he says, you're going to have sorrow when you have a baby. And then to Adam, he says, because uh, you hearken unto the voice of thy wife and you ate of the tree which I commanded you, uh, thou shalt not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and you'll eat the herb of the field and in the sweat of your face you're going to eat bread. You're going to have to toil. Listen to me. It's going to be hard. Everything about your life's going to be uh, difficult. Uh, you're going to have trouble raising uh, crops. And everywhere you go, you're going to have to work for it. And everything's just going to be... This is an unredeemed state. This is an unborn again man. And everything is just going to be trial and tribulation and trial and tribulation. And you're going to sweat and everything's going to be difficult. And it's going to be hard. And I've cursed the ground. And you're going to have thorns that grow up. Isn't it interesting that when you plant a garden, you don't have to plant weeds and thorns. They just grow. You've got to pull up the weeds and thorns or they'll choke out what you're wanting to grow. So God says there's going to be thorns that rise up out of the ground and they're going to change everything and everything that was about the Garden of Eden, hey man, that's over. All because you made this decision. So He says to him, He says, the sweat of your face 
till you return to the ground. You were taken out of the dust. I'm going to return you to the dust. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. He says, listen to me. He said, the, the fruit of the field, leaves aren't going to do it. There's only one way for the atonement of sin and that is the shedding of blood. And I'm going to temporarily put a hold on your judgment if you are willing to get in line with my precepts. And the first precept you've got to follow is it's going to take the blood of bulls and goats in order to take the sin and the punishment necessary that you have caused to come onto humanity to be somehow put off temporarily. So he sacrifices these animals and he covers them with the skins so that their sins could be covered for a season. But it wasn't the seed of woman. It was just the blood of bulls and goats. So he says, I'm going to temporarily cover you. I'm going to temporarily clothe you and make it where I don't have to look upon your wickedness and you and I can still have a relationship. And God said, behold, the man has become one of us. This is when he's talking to the, this is when the Holy Spirit God, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Father God and the Son, they're all just having a conversation and saying, listen to me. He says, Adam has become one of us. He knows good and evil. Uh, we've got to get him out of this garden because if he's not getting out of this garden, he's going to go eat of the tree of life and he's going to Live forever separated from us. God loves you so much that He didn't want you to stay in your sinful state that was separated from Him. He loves you so much that He didn't want Adam and Eve to be eternally separated from Him in a garden. He didn't want to run the risk of them going and eating of the tree that would grant them eternal life, that would keep them separate from God for all humanity, which would have doomed and damned you and me. He says, we've got to get them out of the garden. And this man who He put in the garden, who He formed in His likeness and in His image, This man who he had breathed the breath of life into, who he had put the breath of God on the inside of, who he had placed in this place like utopia where he could reach and eat every one of the fruit of every tree there except for one. He sat there and everything was going great and all of a sudden he had to take that guy and banish him from the garden. All because there was a day coming when everything would be put back in order. You see, God is not a man that He should lie. So when He said the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, it was just a matter of time. It was just a matter of time before all these curses and all these problems were to be put back in proper order. But listen, man willingly chose feel the Holy Spirit so strong. Man willingly chose to disobey God so it would not be lawful if man didn't willingly have to choose to obey God to spend eternity with Him. So Adam and Eve in the garden all these problems showing up all the issues and all the strife. God took a man, put him in a garden, then He had to throw him out. Thousands of years later, another man, the seed of the woman, 
willingly walked into a garden. Adam and Eve lived in a time where God let them know, listen, you're going to have to sweat, you're going to have to toil, and the ground is going to be cursed. Jesus walked into a garden, began to pray so passionately, he began to sweat. He continued to press in and pray and pray and pray until he began to sweat great drops of blood. Because everywhere the blood of Jesus is applied, you can have atonement and forgiveness. He didn't just sweat great drops of blood. The Bible says he sweat great drops of blood and it fell on the ground. The very ground that God says was cursed is now covered by the blood of Jesus. Everywhere you take a step. The knowledge of good and evil flooded the the being of Adam and Eve and now they realize I'm uncovered. What do I do? Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Tempted in every way. He knows everything that ever is, was, and will be. And the Bible says, to know what is right and not do it to Him that is sin. He knew what was right and He did it. He knew what He should have done and He just followed up. And the reason we know is because He's praying and He's sitting there and He's saying, Oh God! Let this cup pass from me. I know what I have to do, but I don't want it. I don't want to get whipped. I don't want to get nailed to a cross. I don't want thorns in my head. I don't want to be spit on. But then he did what only he could do. Nevertheless, thy will be done. You see, I can't drink your cup. You can't drink mine. I can't do what you have to do. You can't do what I have to do. But Jesus knew what He had to do. And did it. There was a a time when Adam and Eve were were eating of the fruit and then all of a sudden they realized, I'm uncovered, I'm unclean, what do I do? And they went and got some fig leaves and they sewed the fig leaves together and they made themselves a couple of aprons. But Jesus, on the way to the cross, was walking one day and He sees a fig tree from afar and I can just sense on the inside of Him saying, I'll eat any fruit on this planet because I already have the knowledge of good and evil and I'll eat anything I want. And He gets there and there's no fruit and He curses the thing and it dies and symbolically He's saying... I don't need any tree leaves to try to cover me because I'm the one spotless and without sin. The tree withers and dies in a day. Continues into Jerusalem. He continues into that place and comes out of the garden. Adam was thrown out. And they came thinking they were going to arrest Jesus with strength of numbers and might. He says two words when asked, Are you Jesus? He said, I am. Power hit the garden and every man fell on the ground. He was not thrown out of any garden. He walked out of the garden put himself before an unjust counsel. Adam was put before the most just counsel that's ever been. Elohim. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Jesus has to go through the unjust 
decision making of a kangaroo court and be told you're guilty when he was innocent. Adam said, I'm innocent, but he was guilty. Jesus gets ridiculed, beaten, ensnared. And then some soldier thinks he's got a great idea, but he doesn't realize he's just a part of the plan. And he takes a a bunch of thorns and he, he makes them into a bunch of crowns. He goes, let's put this on his head. You see, Adam and Eve over here found out from God that thorns are going to overtake them. And Jesus says, put them on my head. They'll overtake them no more. The Bible says he's the lily among thorns. He gets closer to that great and dreadful day when the Spirit of God would seek to live inside of mankind once again and the rumbling of heaven is getting closer and closer but instead of this man Christ Jesus hiding himself and shielding himself and trying to hide amongst the trees he picks up a tree, carries a tree, is nailed to a tree and is publicly hung on a tree for all of you and me to see. The tree of life which was protected in the garden by some cherubims and a flaming sword. Where nobody could get close to it because all life existed in its wood. The number one piece of jewelry, piece of art on planet earth is a T-shape we call the cross, a.k.a. the tree of life. That before, said nobody can get to it because you can't live forever like this. And Jesus is now saying, everybody can get to it because you can live forever like this. In Adam and Eve's situation, They found themselves uncovered, stained by sin and trying to work it out. And they heard the sound of God, the ruah, the breath, the wind of God coming through the garden. And they hid. Not so long after Jesus ascended into heaven and went to prepare a place for you and me. When he left the disciples, he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to leave one who's going to fill you. He's going to fill you with fire and with power and your life's going to change. And there was about 120 of them in an upper room and they were in one mind and one accord praying. And the Bible says there came a sound as a mighty rushing wind. And instead of trying to hide in amongst the trees of the garden, they stood boldly behind tree of life and were filled like Adam was like Eve was from the tops of their heads to the soles of their feet with the breath the ruah the power of God the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. 
We're going to pick up right here next week. We're going to learn more about the seed of the woman who is Christ Jesus. But don't believe a lie. Every area of your life that is stained and tainted with sin, doubt, or unbelief, Jesus came. This is just one chapter of the Bible. Jesus came and reversed the whole thing. So before you take another step, before we even get to December, I want to pray a prayer of faith over you. A prayer of faith that says, every area of my life that I'm not experiencing the goodness of God, I'm going to apply the blood of Jesus to. I wish I had time to teach you on the areas that Jesus shed His blood. His head, His hands, His side, His feet, His back. Sweat. wish I had just a few minutes. We're going to pick up there next week. But before we do, I want to pray a prayer. And if you're in the building today and you say, you know what? I want to enter into 2015 already peaking spiritually so that God can take me to a whole nother level throughout the year. I want to finish this year strong and see what God started, accomplished in my life and in my family in 2014. And it all comes down to this. A garden, a garden, a man, a man, blood, blood, redeemed, redeemed, changed forever. If that's you and you want to be a part of that prayer, I just want you to stand to your feet right now.